welcome back to this podcast series called Alphabet of the Heart. My name is James Kirby and I'm here again with Dr. James Doty and welcome Dr. Doty. Great to be with you again, James. And uh, uh, having heard a bit of the first podcast, uh, I'm really excited about uh, continuing on. Oh, excellent. And it's great to be here with you again. And this is the second podcast, as Dr. Doty was alluding to, of the Alphabet of the Heart podcast series. So if you're tuning in for the first time, it might be useful to go back and listen to that first podcast where we introduce you to the whole concept of this series. Um, and you can find that on the Seacare website, um, or you can download it through iTunes, or also, Dr. Doty, your website? Yes, uh, intothemagicshop.com, as well as jamesrdotymd.com. And so you can access uh, that podcast series through all of those different pathways. Uh, but if you are listening for the first time, here's just a, a little bit of background. Uh, the Alphabet of the Heart is a brand new initiative uh, by the Centre for Compassion and Altruism Research and Education, or CCARE for short, at Stanford University. And uh, if you didn't already know, Dr. Doty is the Director of CCARE and a Clinical Professor of Neurosurgery at Stanford. He also released uh, quite a a wonderful book uh, this year called Into the Magic Shop, where he shares a mnemonic he created called The Alphabet of the Heart, which will be the focus of this series. And just to remind um, our listeners, the structure of the, the podcast is there'll be three parts. So we'll first really spend some time giving some background on why that particular letter was included um, in the mnemonic. And then secondly, we'll go through a little bit of research and science and what it says about that attribute. And then thirdly, we'll finish up with providing a few little practical tips that you might be able uh, to, to draw upon in your daily life. So, the first letter, and the first letter is C. And Dr. Doty, what does the C stand for? Well, uh, just to familiarize our listeners with the mnemonic, it's actually 10 letters of the alphabet in order from C to L, which I use as a method of centering myself and clarifying my intention. So the first letter is you... Uh, noted as C. And this is really um, something that's core to our humanity, and that is compassion. And it's not only compassion to others, which of course is critical, uh, not only to function in the world and to have a meaningful life, recognizing the suffering of another and having a desire to alleviate that suffering, but what's sometimes forgotten is having compassion for yourself. And what many of us don't appreciate is that oftentimes we are hypercritical. Uh, we say things to ourselves in this ongoing dialogue in our head that's not self-affirming. And we really uh, beat ourselves up sometimes. And unfortunately, this is a consequence of modern society where instead of having the sense that you're just loved, and in older times when you lived in a village and you had intergenerational living and everyone knew you from the time you were a child and you had the sense that you were part of the community and no matter what you did you were accepted. In modern society that's not the case and uh, oftentimes we're in competitive environments, we're in environments where people uh, say things that are critical and unfortunately oftentimes we take that in and that becomes a narrative inside of our head. So this idea of the letter C uh, is really quite important. Um, and it serves as the initial start of my own daily meditation practice. Uh, as we mentioned during the first podcast, uh, there's actually been a set of prayer beads or mala, uh, a mala that has been created that has 
ten wooden beads and a golden bead to represent the golden rule. And my practice actually every morning is to begin with the letter C and really sit for a few minutes contemplating what that means. And again, you also have to remember that to be kind and compassionate to others requires us to really be kind to ourselves and feel that we deserve kindness, we deserve love, we deserve to have others be compassionate to us. It's interesting because when you sort of mention um, the importance of compassion in the environments in which we live, which are almost uh, blockers or um, really kind of stop sometimes the compassion coming forth. How did it go when you talked about this at the white coat ceremony to the doctors? Because the medical profession is a very competitive profession. Of course, the intention is to provide care and well-being to, to their patients. Um, but, you know, across that process of becoming a, a, a medically trained doctor, how much is compassion at the core of the teaching? Well, I would argue it should be the absolute core of all teaching uh, to healers. The challenge is that, as you point out, in a competitive society where to get into medical school it's highly competitive, to survive in medical school it's highly competitive, to compete and survive a residency it's highly competitive, and also the nature of medical care as it's practiced in the United States and in other places almost beats the compassion and empathy out of one sometimes. And uh, oftentimes when you are in that type of environment, it creates anxiety and stress. So instead of being open, inclusive, caring, what happens is you start shutting down because you're just trying to survive. And unfortunately, uh, that is all too common. So the challenge is, is to create an environment where the reality is you and I may not be able to change medical care today But if we can give individuals a set of tools that allow them to step back for a moment, be able to relax, be able to focus, to be able to clear their mind or tame their mind, and give them something like this mnemonic, which allows them to sit and really understand uh, their place, the importance of what they do, and to be kind to themselves. And so compassion in this case is critically important. Was it almost like a a no-brainer for you uh, to have C as the starting point? Well, uh, absolutely correct. Uh, uh, If you look at the evolution of our species, if you look at the basis of all religions fundamentally, and even culture and society, the glue that allows us to survive as a species, the glue that has allowed the creation of society, the creation of culture, the creation of religion, is compassion and this idea of nurturing and caring for the other. Of course, one of the challenges, which we were just discussing, is when environments are created that actually are stressful and cause anxiety and fear. And of course, when that happens, instead of being in this mode where your vagal tone is increased and your parasympathetic nervous system is um, stimulated, which results in you being relaxed and uh, feeling part of a group and that you want to connect with people, the opposite occurs and your flight or fight mechanism mediated through your sympathetic nervous system gets engaged. And when that happens, everything starts shutting down 
even your creativity, your productivity, and your ability to think logically or have appropriate reasoning. And when that occurs, you sort of fall back to survival mode. And again, when you're in survival mode, uh, you just are trying to survive. And that limits you from connecting. It limits you from creative uh, thought processes. And it limits you in your ability to reason. It's interesting as you say that. I I remember listening to you in in a presentation you gave once. And I think one of the messages you you were really focusing on was how we tend to when we're isolated and alone, tend to become highly susceptible to illness. And it's when we connect with others and we're supported with others that the wellness then starts to, uh, you know, really take hold and transform us. No, I think that's right. And it's interesting because when you have this release of stress hormones such as cortisol uh, and these other mechanisms uh, that the sympathetic nervous system uh, elicits, Uh, It's uh, very negative in regard to your immune system. And, of course, that's what mediates uh, the occurrence of illness. And we know that when people are stressed or anxious or, let's say, are not bonding or connecting with others, the occurrence of disease is increased, the severity of disease is increased. Um, So, uh, again, the ability to modulate that response or understand where it comes from and intervene with techniques that result that from not occurring are, are really critical to our health. And actually, this is a nice sort of uh, segue into the, the second part where we're starting to discuss more of the science behind compassion, which we kind of have already uh, been, been discussing. Um, but to go into it into a little bit more depth, um, you know, there are, there are several different definitions of compassion, but essentially it is about recognizing the suffering in oneself and that of another and wanting to do something to alleviate that suffering. And uh, over the last 20 or so years, there really has been a huge spike of research looking at the associations between compassion and our physiological health and also our psychological health. And in fact, there's been some terrific work coming out of the the CKED lab here at Stanford looking directly at those factors. Did you want to speak a little bit to some of the the science behind compassion, Dr. Doty, for a moment? Uh, Sure. Uh, It's interesting. There are a variety of labs that are now working in this area because they uh, recognize uh, the importance of being compassionate, if you will, in regard to your mental and physical health, and in fact, even in regard to your longevity. Uh, Emma Seppala and I actually published a paper in 2013, which was an overview of how important compassion is uh, in regard to uh, mental and physical health. And then the other interesting thing is the growing body of evidence that when you are stressed uh, or anxious, it has an effect on uh, your epigenetics, if you will, Mm. where uh, these genes that are associated with the inflammatory response are actually stimulated. And we know that in a variety of conditions, uh, it's inflammation that really is the killer. It is the signature of many disease states, whether it's diabetes, cardiac disease, peripheral vascular disease. And it is, again, uh, in many ways, uh, uh, a positive um, uh, factor is stress and anxiety and this depression of your immune system. There are other studies that look at uh, how bonding and nurturing and attachment 
have an effect on the occurrence of disease and especially chronic disease and also on uh, having relationships uh, having a, a negative effect. Remember, in the United States, as an example, 25% of people will tell you that uh, when they are in pain or suffering, they have absolutely nobody to talk to. Imagine what that's like. Oh, that's just devastating when you contemplate that amount of people. Exactly. And again, this goes back to how our society has evolved from, let's say, villages or towns where people grew up and their grandparents lived there and their brothers and sisters and they knew everybody. And when you're in a trusting, caring environment that's familiar, your stress levels go down. Hmm. And in modern society, we don't have that at all. And it's not surprising because in those environments, you don't have to create this projection of who you want people to see you as and hope that they care for you or love you. In modern society, unfortunately, create this authentic project, inauthentic projection uh, that shows your best self, but not all, let's say, the bad parts, which is really the knowledge of that to other people allows for them to give care and concern and vice versa. Mm. And uh, that projection that we carry around uh, unfortunately limits our authenticity and our ability to connect. And as a result, uh, people don't. And it's devastating in terms of uh, long-term health. Uh, absolutely. And, and I mean, we're only sort of scratching the surface here in many ways of just how many uh, positive association and benefits there are with compassion, as Dr. Doty was mentioning, with our genetic expression. Also, there's been some very good research looking at mental health and emo emotion regulation and how compassion can benefit that. Um, some great work by yourself and Emma Seppala, as well as Macbeth and Gumley. If you just search for them in Google, you'll sort of see some of those findings. Um, so it's not surprising that... Uh, as a result of these uh, association of benefits, we're now seeing specific compassion-based interventions developed in order to help cultivate this a little further. And there've been quite a few um, different uh, interventions developed to help stimulate compassion and to help us with the chronic stress and anxiety and depression many of us face in our uh, daily life with work and, and juggling all of our uh, responsibilities. And there are quite a few, um, just to rattle off a, a couple of them. Um, there's, of course, the Stanford's Compassion Cultivation Training Program. Um, there's also compassion-focused therapy uh, developed by Paul Gilbert and Mindful Self-Compassion, another program developed by Kristen Neff and Christopher Germer. Cultivating Emotional Balance, so that came out of uh, some of Paul Ekman's work. Um, there's cognitively-based compassion training from uh, Emory University. And of course, the list goes on. There's a number of meditations as well that one can engage in. And these interventions have been evaluated in what we would call the gold standard um, of a randomized controlled trial uh, with research showing not only that they are able to uh, help stimulate compassion, also reduce suffering, um, but also have those positive influences. So often in clinical psychology, we become very focused on removing the negative and not so much about trying to increase the positive. And I think that's one of the um, real strengths and assets of compassion-based uh, training programs. I think James is being too modest. Maybe you could tell our listeners uh, this paper you recently published uh, reviewing the various types of uh, compassion interventions. Oh, well, thanks, Dr. Doty. Yes, we, we just completed a, um, a review of uh, the different compassion-based interventions out there, and it's just incredible if you look at how much um, attention this area has received over the last 20 years and you start to look at the different programs available um, 
it's really quite incredible. And it's also fantastic to see that people are starting to recognize um, how important this is um, to our daily functioning and connecting with others. And I think it's the connecting with others that is, is really key, which a lot of these programs focus in on. So essentially, these programs tend to uh, focus in on trying to stimulate what compassion is initially, try to get people to understand what we mean by compassion. So that's a, that's a strong similarity between the programs because a lot of people come in with this idea that compassion, as we mentioned in the first podcast, is all about the warm and fuzzies. Or, you know, it's only, um, it's only good if I've got the time <laughs> or something like that. And, of course, compassion takes a lot of courage. It's coming to face the things that cause us the most difficulties in our lives, the things that we perhaps keep secret from others because we're afraid of um, how people might look at us. So it takes a, a lot of courage. So we talk about initially trying to get an understanding of compassion and then some attention or mindfulness uh, techniques are brought in at that point. And then different interventions uh, kind of go off in different directions. Some are focused more on self-compassion, which is, of course, uh, the wonderful work of Kristen Neff and Christopher Germer. And they'll bring in um, some exercises regarding how we can relate to ourselves, not so critically, but perhaps more from a self-compassionate perspective. And they'll use things like soothing touch, for example. So that might be a hand on heart um, to help calm us down and help us in those times of real stress. And also uh, other therapies will spend more time focused on um, not only compassion towards self, but how we go about when we receive compassion from another. And that's really interesting because there was a recent study done looking at um, gratitude and people who are very, very highly rank individualistic values really struggle with gratitude because that means acknowledging that they've received help or care from someone else. And I think in our competitive environments, that can be a real blocker um, to facilitating compassion. Well, I think you're right. And uh, there's often a misconception among uh, individualistic people or uh, what p- people who think of themselves as self-made because reality is none of us are self-made. All of us have benefited from the care and nurturing of another. And although some people may not believe that, it is the reality. Um, not a single one of us would be here today without the support of other people. And it's when you recognize this reality and have gratitude for those who've helped you along the way or for the path that has been cleared for you, if you will, or the support you've been given, whether it's from family, parents, spouse, uh, whoever, it's just a reality. And once you're able to do this, it's much easier to uh, have gratitude and also to be more self-compassionate. Mm, absolutely. And so in just finishing this part of the uh, the science up, we conducted a meta-analysis, which I did with my good friend uh, Stan Steindl in Australia. Hi, Stan. And also with my wife, uh, Cassie. And what we found was uh, as a result of these compassion-based interventions, we were finding it was significantly increasing compassion and self-compassion and mindfulness for participants significantly reducing depression, anxiety, and psychological distress, and I think most importantly, also increasing positive well-being. So there is really um, a lot of benefits associated with compassion, and, and more research will continue to explore those benefits for different populations, not just adults, kids as well, adolescents, and also older adults. But now I think it's time to transition into the the third part of the podcast, which is starting to look at some perhaps tips or exercises we can start to build into our daily life. 
And uh, Dr. Dodi, what do you think would be perhaps a first good exercise or tip we could look at um, to bring compassion into our daily life? Well, I think um, one of the ways you can do that is actually to look at other people. And oftentimes when we do that, we think that for whatever reason, their lives are better than our own, that they're really not suffering, that our particular situation is unique, and uh, we are suffering more than others. And when you really look at it, everyone is suffering. Now, it may be uh, in a different way. Uh, oftentimes, people strive to be wealthy or have a uh, powerful or successful position in society and think that when that occurs that all of their suffering will be alleviated, and I can assure them uh, from my own experience and observing others in those positions that, in fact, oftentimes it actually makes the suffering worse. And what's so sad is that people strive for this and put so much energy into this with this false notion, and when they're there, they suddenly wake up and they're suffering even more. Uh, so one thing to do is to look at others and recognize that they are suffering and have sympathy for them. And also just to sit with this idea that you deserve nurturing, care, and others to embrace you and recognize your suffering. And it's this recognition of our oneness or common humanity that really puts us on the path to truly be compassionate and in fact, also to develop a calmness in our mind. One of the things we talked about in the earlier podcast was this relaxing the body and this idea of taming the mind and being able to focus. And it's when you alleviate this anxiety and fear and uh, striving and attachment to outcomes that's one of the first steps you take to really calming the mind and being okay with yourself and that takes practice it, it's constant practice <laughs> <laughs> indeed it does and you know people sometimes get frustrated when we make these recommendations or talk about these things but really whether it's uh, trying to run a marathon or any type of uh, goal uh, very very few come easily hmm. but with practice we know that uh, we can achieve almost anything. And I think in order to help compassion flourish, so to facilitate compassion, uh, Ruth's first two tricks that we went through in the first podcast are tremendously helpful as setting the conditions to allow compassion to come forth. And in fact, one could argue they're quite self-compassionate acts. A third um, strategy which could be also useful, and this has come out of the work uh, Paul Gilbert really did, uh, specifically focusing on our inner tone of voice when we deal with um, some of our difficulties or try to help ourselves or encourage ourselves. What he was starting to notice is we would encourage ourselves, but we'd encourage ourselves with a critical voice. So it might be, come on, do it, instead of, come on, do it, a more friendly, encouraging voice. Now, what voice tone would you use with your child if you were trying to encourage them um, with trying to achieve what they're trying to accomplish? It would be the friendly voice, right? Because that helps spur us on and, and show us that we're there and we're bonding and they mean something to us. So one really simple 
strategy that people might like to consider doing as part of their morning routine, along with perhaps the beads and contemplating on the intention of the alphabet, is also just to welcome yourself to the morning. Um, I know when I welcome myself to the morning, it's often, oh, (laughs) do I have to get up now? So it's already setting a tone of irritation, annoyance, frustration. Whereas if we can just take a moment, um, wake, um, and then just settle into the breath for a minute or two, nothing long, just a, just a short time, and then perhaps welcome ourselves with a just a friendly voice, an internal monologue of, hello, James. Now that might seem <laughs> a little silly and awkward at first, but it's setting the tone and the intention of the day, and it can really have a dramatic impact just even in the short term. It can uh, impact your facial expression. I know when I say that immediately to myself, a small smile appears, and that's quite contrasting to the critical voice that I tend to wake myself up with. So just consider your internal voice tone. How often is it critical or how often is it friendly and um, encouraging? No, that's uh, exactly right, James, and I think uh, that's very, very helpful. Uh, My morning practice is to sit up and just sit with myself and start thinking of this uh, positive state that I wish to be in and uh, uh, thinking of the many blessings and then just uh, start with intention, relaxing myself and then uh, uh, having a positive dialogue uh, after which I begin this, uh, uh, if you will, this alphabet of the heart. Which I think leads us nicely into perhaps the third trick of Ruth's, Dr. Doty. Yes, uh, and the third trick that Ruth taught me uh, was something that I describe as opening the heart. And if you recall, her first exercise, which we uh, discussed at our first podcast, was really relaxing the body. And once you do that, and if you will, sort of quiet your mind, and again, you do this by focusing on your breathing, and trying to empty your mind completely of all other thoughts, especially negative thoughts. And again, when thoughts arise, guide your attention back to your breath and continue to breathe in and out, completely emptying your mind. What I found very, very useful is to think of someone in my life who has been there for me and has given me unconditional love. Unconditional love is not perfect love or love without hurt or pain. It just means that someone in your life loved you selflessly, maybe one time or for a great deal of time. There are some individuals who can't think of anyone who's loved them unconditionally. But if you can think of someone in your own life to whom you've given unconditional love, When you think of those situations, it will stir warmth, it will stir the sense of contentment, and you feel this and sit with this feeling as you slowly breathe in through your nose and slowly exhale through your mouth, and you just sit with this feeling of contentment and warmth. And you feel the power of unconditional love and how you feel accepted and cared for, even with all of your flaws and imperfections. And all of us have these flaws and imperfections. 
And then think of someone you care for and with intention extend unconditional love to that person. Understand that the gift you are giving him or her is the same gift that someone has given you and will make others feel cared for and protected. As you are giving that same unconditional love to one you care for, think again how you feel when you have been given unconditional love and acceptance. A feeling where you're not afraid, a feeling where no matter what you think or do, that you're embraced by love, that you're always forgiven, that that person looks at you and believes in your greatest potential while understanding and accepting your imperfections. As you're embracing that person with love, wish him or her a happy life with as little suffering as possible. Hold that person in your heart and see his or her future in front of you. See happiness. Let yourself be bathed in that warm feeling that you were giving to them. Now I'd like you to think of someone with whom you've had a different relationship, one that may have been difficult or for whom you have negative feelings. Understand that oftentimes one's actions are a manifestation of one's past. See them as yourself, a flawed and perfect being who at times struggles and makes mistakes. Think of the person in your own life who have given unconditional love to and reflect on how that love and acceptance impacted you. Try to give that same unconditional love to that person who is difficult or for whom you have negative feelings. Too often we view others seeing their worst behaviors and then look at ourselves with views of our highest aspirations. And this gives us a false view and oftentimes makes us feel superior. But in reality, again, we all make mistakes. We all, at times, don't live up to our highest aspirations. At times, we do acts or actions which are hurtful. And this is the nature of being human. When you look at everyone, you meet as a flawed and perfect human being just like you yet who is struggling but deserves love with intention give that warmth that caring that nurturing that unconditional love to another in your mind bathe them with love warmth and acceptance it does not matter what is their response it only matters that you have an open heart an open heart is what connects you with others and when you have that that changes everything uh, thank you very much uh, Dr. Dodie for, for guiding us through that uh, meditation that third trick there 
uh, from Ruth that was in his book, oh, Into the Magic Shop. And I think that just to, to finish up here, um, I think what's so key is it, we can so easily and quickly get to criticalness and anxiety and frustration. It takes time to practice and cultivate the compassion side of things. And it really does require practice. Um, uh, and it's not easy for everyone. It takes time. It's uh, like running a marathon that Dr. Doty said. So please feel free to, to um, listen to the, the podcast again to uh, go through that third trick there from Ruth. It, it'll be available um, on uh, iTunes and on the Seacare website. So please listen as often as you'd like. Um, and then for our next podcast, podcast three, we'll be starting to look at dignity. So thank you, Dr. Doty, for today. Wonderful. And thank you, uh, our listeners. And thank you, James, for... Uh again, facilitating this wonderful conversation.